Good morning. Thank you for that good response. You don't need to prompt it. Normally, I have to make you say good morning again, but thank you. You did a great job. If you've been paying any attention or a little attention, Jacques, I like my voice. It's kind of echoey today. It's great. If you've been paying attention to the songs we've been singing, there have been some references to Jesus giving sight to the blind, to people. Have you, did you notice that? Oh, it's okay. There's some honest people I know. Well, there was, and it's good. <laughs> and uh, even if you didn't, uh, this is a story that we're going to look at this morning. Now, I have an exciting announcement about this amazing new technology that we have at Elam Chapel this morning. It's called a book. And in the pews in front of you, you'll find one of these. A holy Bible. Not just a Bible, a holy Bible. Page 818. Page 818 is John chapter 9. We are going to go through the whole chapter. Believe it or not, in a very short period of time, and you will... Be dazzled by what God says, and maybe not so much by what Rick says, but that's not the point. But this morning, we're talking about a new way of seeing, a new way of seeing. In John chapter 9, what was that page number again? 818? Yeah, you'll find it, okay? All right, because you'll want to start following along as we go through the story, John chapter 9. So a new way of seeing. When I was a little boy, I was in grade one, I was diagnosed with a condition called myopia. Do you know what myopia is? Short-sightedness. They found out that I couldn't see the chalkboard from where I was sitting in the middle of the class. In fact, moving up to the front row really wouldn't have improved my odds that much. I was very short-sighted. Because I had teachers as parents, I kind of learned to read kind of before I started school. I had a head start that way. So nobody really picked it up until partway through grade one. And all of a sudden, I was taken to the eye doctor and given these glasses. And I don't remember this, but my mom remembers the look on my face when I overheard someone's, the doctor telling my parents, yeah, he'll probably have to wear them for the rest of his life. I do remember as a little boy going out to the field in front of our farmhouse. It was the springtime, and I remember taking off my glasses and saying, God, will you please heal my eyes so I don't have to wear these things? And with great faith, I took them off, and everything went blurry. So then I put my glasses on again. Uh, it was a great day when I was about 20. Uh, high school was a bit of a struggle. Uh, playing basketball on my basketball team, I noticed the most important equipment were the little sports straps to hold my glasses on uh, during a game. Although I can remember one incident where uh, I, my teammate had threw me a pass and I turned around and caught it. Psh, glasses went all over the place. Football was a lot easier because I just didn't wear them. And because I was a lineman, I only hit the, hit the guy like a yard away, and I could see him. And then it was great, because when you switch from defense to offense, it was just a matter of turning around and hitting the same guy, you know, for more plays. So that was fairly straightforward. And I could see well enough to chase the guy who had the ball. I knew that was. And so not a lot of vision uh, aptitude required. 
Age 20 was great because with my first paycheck at my first decent summer job, I got contact lenses. Blew the wad on them. They were quite expensive back then, but I just loved it. I loved life without glasses. Although wearing contacts, if you ever wear contact lenses, they can be kind of complicated too, all kinds of eye infections and don't fall asleep with them. Or you know. Anyway, lots of stories there. But... Uh, a few years ago, just before I started working at Elam Chapel, I had an eye appointment with my optometrist, and they sent, and she said to me, because my vision was kind of going a little weird and murky, and I was kind of concerned, saying, Don, her name, her name was Don, Don, what's going on with my vision? Let's check it out. And she looks at me, and she says, I've got great news. Great news, I can't see out of this eye. You've got cataracts. So what's the good news about cataracts? Well, they're going to do surgery on you, and you're going to fix your eyes, and it's going to be free. I mean, you say to a Winnipegger, free. You're, you do a backflip, right? You get all excited, like, what's free? So anyway, she was right, and I had this eye surgery done. All of a sudden, I didn't need corrective lenses. I use reading glasses to read because I want to fit in with all my middle-aged friends. and you know, No, but um, I do, but... For the first time in my life, I'd wake up in the morning and see clearly. It was amazing. And it still is amazing. I'm really good at spotting street signs down the road. I mean, when the city does have street signs there, they don't always have them where I want them. But I can see it. I can read. It's brilliant. It was a new way of seeing for me. Now, my problem is, even though I can physically see things, I don't always perceive them. And that's the problem in this story. There's a story of a blind man who couldn't see. He got his physical sight back. But there's other people in the story who could see physically, but they were spiritually blind. So I'm setting you up. We're going to go through the story. I'm going to make some comments on it. And the punchline will be at the end. But I want you to think, be thinking carefully this morning about where are your spiritual blind spots. You know where, any, who's done driver ed here? Anyone's do driver education? Okay, anyone should do driver's ed? No, don't hold your hands up. <laughs> they should, or do it again. Really important issue in driving is checking your blind spot, right? That means, you know, when you're looking, you sort of glance in the mirror and think, meh, and you pull out and all of a sudden, eh, bang, crash. You realize that obscured behind the car, there's, a, there's a, a, just an area that you can't see. So you literally have to crank your neck around and check this way and check that way. You've got to do it every time or else disaster may be lurking just in your blind spot, Right? I think spiritually we can have blind spots too. We can be spiritually blind, totally blind, or we can have spiritual blind spots. Just areas in our life where you think, eh, that's not a problem for me. Eh, that's not a sin. Eh, what's the big deal? I'm going to pray right now and ask God to reveal our spiritual blind spots to us as we go through this story. And just listen with a little part of your brain to Holy Spirit because he might be giving you 
and hopefully it's not your spouse, but your Holy, Holy Spirit will be giving you just a little bit of an elbow in the ribs today. Okay? How about blind spots? Jesus, I thank you for the story of the blind man that we're going to read in John 9. It's amazing and encouraging and challenging. And I pray in your authority that you would reveal any blind spots that, each of, that any of us would have this morning. And also, if there are spiritually blind people here today, open our eyes to truly see you, to perceive you, and to obey you. We pray these things confidently in your name. Amen. All right. Let's uh, start the story. John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples said, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? What an ugly question. What an ugly question. These guys weren't really concerned about this man. There was just kind of this intellectual curiosity. By the way, Jesus, why do bad things happen in life? How come this guy was born blind? People always want to attach blame when bad things happen. But sometimes they just happen because we live in a fallen world. Why was that person born that way? I don't know. You can try to attach blame to it. This is too complicated a topic to get into right now. Sometimes, sometimes... There may be a sin connected to an underlying an sickness or issue or a malady sometimes, but not always. So we have to be very careful to come along, that we don't come along on our high horse and say, well, you've got an issue with this because this happened and you did this wrong and your parents did this wrong, blah, blah, blah. That's what was happening in this story. And Jesus answers it very well. I mean, if you read the book of Job, you should see that our understanding of life is so limited. And here is a man in whom, someone in whom Jesus can manifest God's power and love and reveal something of God himself and his purposes. And Jesus is being led by his Father to do something, to provide a sign that he's actually the light of the world, that affirms that he is who he said he is. So Jesus says it's not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now this does not mean that God caused the blindness. Okay? It's not like God in his cruel malevolence says, well, I'm going to make this guy blind for 20 or 30 years just so, you know, Jesus can show off in a few decades. That is not the case. That is not the heart of God. That is not how he works. But things happen in life that we don't understand because, as I said, we have a limited capacity to know everything. How many people here have gone to see the movie The Shack? Take a friend. Go see it. I don't often endorse movies publicly. There's been a lot of controversy in Christian circles because they say, well, I don't think God is a benevolent black lady, you know? I don't think that kind of thing. It's like, it's a story, okay? Take a deep breath, and whatever you need to calm yourself down physically, 
go see the movie with an open mind and let God speak to you. Because there are a lot of good lines in there. Now, it's a story, but there are a lot of good lines in there about why does God allow difficult things to happen? Does he really care about us? It's very powerful. I'd encourage you to see it. These are the things that the disciples were wrestling with. Although they were more academic, they were more withdrawn, they were more intellectual and theoretical about it. And Jesus saw this man, and he heals them. And he says, this, is, this man is blind, so God can demonstrate his glory. And we're going to do something about it right now. Verse 4, Jesus says, We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he proves that. He knew his time was short. Jesus was a wanted man. In fact, he was wanted for the wrong reasons. And his face was basically in every post office is, you know, Israel's most wanted. Have you seen this man? He had a short time left, and he realized that. So Jesus spits on the ground. He makes mud with the saliva, kind of icky, and then he puts the mud over the blind man's eyes. This is kind of odd therapy. Then he says, okay, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. What an odd way. You remember other times when Jesus would heal someone, he just sort of touched them or pronounced them. Sometimes it was long-distance healing, remember? Some people would come and say, my son's sick, my servant's sick, someone, can you do something? And boom, Jesus heals them long distance. This time, he does a creative miracle. Some theologians think it kind of parallels God making us out of dirt. And he does this miracle, and he puts it on the eyes, on the man's eyes, and sends him basically across town to another location to wash in this pool. Now, the pool of Siloam, the word means scent. And it has to do with kind of the messianic expectations that people had in that day. So basically, Jesus was saying publicly, I'm going to heal this man and make sure that people know that I am the Messiah by sending to the Messiah public pool to wash this guck, ugh, saliva and mud, ugh, out of his eyes, and then he will see. And bless his heart, this blind man, what does he do? He goes. I mean, wouldn't you? You've got nothing to lose. You've got mud and saliva in your eyes. You want to clean it out. And he finds his way to the, the pool of Siloam, and he washes, and as he's washing off the junk, wow, he can see. I can kind of relate to that, only a very minuscule, you know, because I could always see physically. I just needed these corrective lenses, you know. But I could just imagine how amazing someone who is blind from birth all of a sudden can see. And all those highly attuned senses, his sense of smell and hearing and taste and touch, were so hypersensitive. Imagine all of a sudden being able to see. Amazing. So, uh, this fellow comes back seeing. Now, why wasn't it an instant? I think Jesus wanted to test this man's faith. And he, again, there's this public messianic connotation that Jesus was kind of 
basically going really public and saying, hey, the Messiah is here and he's healing people and it happened in the Messiah pool, the pool of Siloam. Wow. Now, friends and neighbors who used to know him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the blind guy? What's going on? Some said he was and others said, nah, he just looks like him. <laughs> I mean, this, th- this story, if you have any sense of humor at all, it's a little bit like a sketch out of Saturday Night Live because you think, oh, I can't be him. No, nah, he just looks like him. No, nah, he's blind. And other people say, and the beggar kept saying, look, it's me. It's me. <laughs> really, it's me. Look, my eyes. You know, what color are they? I can see you. You can see me. Wow, it's me. And people didn't know how to process this. It's a classic illustration of when we don't see what's right in front of us, we only see what we really want to see, right? Some of the neighbors, they had tunnel vision. They said, no, it can't be the blind guy because this guy isn't blind. He just looks like the blind guy. Now that sounds silly, right? But you can understand why they would feel that way, right? Because in their grid in their perception of reality, this guy was blind and he was always going to be blind and that's life. But this is the blind guy who could now see. And people, it just blew their minds. They didn't know how to process this. So they said, what happened? (laughs) And this what happened question, who healed you, what happened, pops up about four times in this story. You can keep track if you want. If you get bored, you can underline it. Um, He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it all over my eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash it. So I went and washed and now I can see. Well, where is he now? I don't know. Then they took the man who'd been blind to the Pharisees because this happened on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. That Jesus had made the mud and healed them. And the Pharisees... Asked the man all about it. So he said, well, he put this mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God. He's working on the Sabbath. That is not within the box of our rules. Not good. Others said, but how could, okay, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Now, I remember a couple of weeks ago, John preached about Nicodemus. He was a guy who came late at night to check out Jesus, have this spiritual conversation with him. That was in John chapter 3. He was a Pharisee. So I have to wonder if Nicodemus was one of the people in this conversation. We don't know for sure, but I wonder if he was on, on, on kind of on the side of Jesus. Well, if this guy was just an ordinary sinner, then how can he do miracles? And they're trying to figure this out. They're trying to enlarge their world a little bit. They're trying to take their blinders off so they can have some spiritual sight and see spiritual reality in this story. Oh, it was time to question the guy again. So the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been born blind. Okay, what's your opinion about this guy who healed you? What do you think? Now, this is really interesting because here were the experts asking the opinion of this ordinary, likely unschooled man. What do you think? Who do you think this was? Well, he healed my eyes. It's got to be a prophet. Like, this has got to be from God. I mean, come on. 
The Jewish leaders still refused. The man had been blind. The poor guy, he'd been blind all his life. He gets healed, and they don't believe that he's been blind all his life. You've got to be, come on, this is some kind of a con game. Come on, Mythbusters will prove that you are really not blind. Come on. So they drag in the man's parents, these poor people. They say to him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so... How come he sees? What's going on? Oh, parents replied, well, yeah, this is our son, and he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Uh, ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. So we know he must have been at least 13 years old. You know, by Jewish law, he was allowed to speak for himself. And the parents passed the buck. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. Now think about these poor parents, the pressure they were under. Your child has been blind from birth, and all of a sudden your adult son is miraculously healed. Wouldn't you be wanting to have like a praise night at the local synagogue and just dancing and celebrating and inviting in the neighbors and saying, hey, what color is that? You know, what do you see? What's that bird up there? You know, and just celebrate with your blind, formerly blind son, right? That's what a normal, healthy parent would want to do. But these people are being bullied by practically the Taliban. (laughs) These people are acting so aggressively and so judgmentally and with so much hatred and antipathy towards Jesus, they're bullying them. And they're afraid of being shunned, excommunicated, because it's not just a social circle. It's an economic circle. It's, it, jobs are at stake. Existence are at stake. Being shunned from the community. So they pass the buck. Well, uh, you should ask him. Man. Beware of religious abuse, friends. That's all I'll say about that. So back to verse... 24, we got to keep going. For the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and said, Now, give God the glory for this. Which is a way of saying, it was a vow, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Give God the glory for this, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Four times in this story, Jesus is called to or referred to as a sinner. The only time it happens in, God's, in John's gospel. Very interesting. Well, I don't know if he's a sinner, the man said. But I do know this. I was blind, and now I see. And John doesn't record the next word, but I think the next word would be, duh. That's how I would record the gospel. I was blind, but now I see. Duh. Sorry, that's why I think of Saturday Night Live when I think of this story. But what did he do? How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. I think he's getting a little frustrated of being hauled around and interrogated and his poor parents being bullied instead of throwing a party. Look, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Uh, wrong thing to say. (laughs) 
wrong thing to say. It's kind of an ironic humor in here, and I'm glad you're chuckling. Then they cursed him. I mean, he's been blessed by Jesus. He's been blessed by the Creator. And these religious representatives of God curse this man. How horrible. You're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's really weird. I mean, strange is what it actually is. That's odd, the man says. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. Wow. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. And ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. That's what the blind guy says. Perfectly logical, right? Does that make sense to you? Makes sense to me. This uneducated man was more theological astute than educated Pharisees. Why couldn't they see what was going on? They had a serious blind spot where Jesus was concerned. Serious blind spot. They looked at him, but they couldn't see him for who he was. How sad. How sad. They didn't want to humble their hearts. They didn't want to make space in their lives for the living God. You were born a total sinner. A total sinner. They amped it up a little bit here. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Not just physically, but excommunicated him. Then when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man, which implies he was looking for this guy. He found him and said, Hey, buddy, do you believe in the Son of Man? Like the classic good shepherd... Jesus goes and seeks out the man. The son of man was a a messianic term that Jesus used to describe himself. Now, by this time, the guy could see Jesus, right? Could see him physically. The man said, well, who is he, sir? Who is this Messiah? I I want to believe in him. Because this guy's ready, right? Like God has radically transformed his life. He's just ripe for the picking. Who is this guy? And Jesus asked this question Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? As another test of faith. Say, hey, are you serious about following, finding the Messiah? Who is he? I want to believe him. You have seen him, Jesus says, and he's speaking to you. The Greek says it really emphasizes, it means, that's me, in bold print, okay? Now, you're allowed to change the pew Bibles into bold print, saying, that's me, okay? You've seen him. Here I am. Lord, I believe. Interesting, this guy all of a sudden does say, refer to him as this guy or Jesus. Now he says, Lord. So he worships, right? Says, ah, you're it. And he worships Jesus. What a contrast to these educated Pharisees who should have known all the answers. They had such an advantage over this blind guy. Physically, but not spiritually, they were blind, right? They should have known. They could have grabbed it, but they missed the boat. Now, Jesus told them, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they're blind. Now, listen carefully. This is a quote from Origen, who's one of the church father's early theologians. He says, the same sun that melts wax hardens 
clay. Jesus is saying he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, back in John 3.17. He didn't come to condemn the world, but his light exposes the darkness in us. The light of Jesus, his grace, his truth, just exposes the darkness in the human heart. So what do we do when our darkness is exposed? Does our resistance melt? Saying, yeah, you're right, Jesus. I'm a sinner. Can you help me? Can you heal me? Can you make me whole? I repent. You're the Lord. I get it. Do we respond like that? Or do we get even harder? Well, no one's going to tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? That's what the Pharisees were doing, right? So it depends on the condition of our heart. Are we going to be like wax? And when the light of Jesus is exposed in our life, we sort of melt and say, okay, whatever you want, you're right, you got me. Or are we going to be like clay, get more stiff and resistant and bitter and self-obsessed? We don't need that religious stuff. We don't need Jesus. Who does he think he is? I'm a good enough person on my own. That's our choice. That's our choice. Some of the Pharisees who were standing by, nearby heard Jesus talking saying, are you saying that we're blind? And again, I want to say, duh. <laughs> yeah, I am. What a lack of integrity and self-awareness. And Jesus says, you know, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, because, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. You know, I've been doing all these things. You guys still don't believe that I'm the Messiah sent by God the Father, and you are missing the boat. You are blind. You're right. You're blind. These Pharisees, it's such a lack of integrity and self-awareness. Now listen, friends, this is where we hit home. We can easily criticize the Pharisees and say, oh, they were such bad people. Oh, I'm so glad I'm, I'm not a Pharisee. No Pharisees in here. No Pharisees in me. Uh-uh. Okay. This is where the Holy Spirit gets his loving hooks in us and say, uh, not so fast. Just a minute. Let's review here. Where are the spiritual blind spots in our lives? Where do we miss out on God's love and truth when his light shines in our heart, in every corner of our heart? Where are we missing the boat? Now, my goal here is not to make us feel guilty because I gave up guilt for Lent many years ago. I have been trying not to pick it up. I'm not talking about biblical guilt. I'm just talking about the guilt that I put on myself, okay? Conviction from the Holy Spirit? Oh, that's another thing. You know when God lovingly grabs you by the scruff of the neck and saying, let's deal with this. Say, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, please, change me. I repent. That's different. Conviction of the Holy Spirit because it brings life and health. Guilt just makes us feel bad about ourselves, and that will never amount to anything, will always be a failure, and it just keeps going. Anyway, there's the difference between godly sorrow and uh, worldly sorrow. You can read about it in, in Corinthians. 
Well, let's get back to the, the closing. What I want us to do is examine our hearts and look for spiritual blind spots. Because Jesus has given sight to a man born blind, but there's a sign of more significant spiritual light. He continues to reveal the glory of God, his love. And ironically, the very brightness of that light shining brings a reaction from those who see the signs, but they do not get it. And in their judgment and condemnation, the Pharisees stand self-judged and self-condemned. Like they say, are you saying that we're blind? Yep, you're blind. You got issues. Pay attention. Now, what are our blind spots? What are our blind spots? We look at ourselves. We'd like to self-justify our sins and say, well, I do that because blah, 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 blah. Or I have a, a tendency or an addiction to do that because blah, 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 blah. I don't think, yeah, this, you know, we can say we can blame it on, we can blame our temper on our Irish heritage or something like that, you know. Or we can blame um, our addictions or a tendency to do something on something else. Or we can judge people. We can judge people that look different from us in some way and have a blind spot in our lives about that. We can have a blind spot about faith. I bump into folks sometimes say, well, you know, Christianity, it's a white man's religion. Well, actually, Jesus technically was not Caucasian. He wasn't. Now, put all the unhelpful Sunday school illustrations aside that you've ever seen in your life, and he, he wasn't. It's not a white man's religion, right? He didn't look like me at all. But still, he lets me into his family. It's so awesome. Can't believe it. Maybe we have a blind spot in our lives about other people in our lives. We judge them. We keep them at arm's length. Maybe we have a blind spot about God. Maybe our, our understanding of God isn't clear, isn't super biblical. Maybe our, our, our blind spot about God is that we, thinks, we think he's a harsh, punishing, cruel taskmaster. Or maybe he's this easygoing, jolly Santa Claus that just sits up in a cloud somewhere and doesn't really care about what we do, isn't really involved in everyday life. I don't know what your blind spots are. I know what my, some of what my blind spots. God's been revealing them to me big time this week and I'm not super pleased about it, but it's good. I'm, not, I'm never happy. I have a dentist appointment coming up in a few weeks. Not really stoked about that, but I'm going to go, right? So it's a bit like going to the dentist. I mean, it's good in the long run. And the difference is, I mean, this, the dentists, they're doing it for the money. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't blame them. I mean, you'd have to pay me a lot of money to spend time in other people's mouths. But Jesus is doing this. He's doing surgery on me because he loves me. So what kind of blind spots do we have? We're going to take a couple of minutes just ask God to show us our blind spots, okay? This is the uncomfortable part of the service, okay? 
This is where we invite the Holy Spirit to meddle in our lives a little bit. Again, the purpose is not to make you feel guilty or bad. The purpose is to say, hey, there's an infection there. There's a cavity. We should do something about that. There's something not healthy. What do you want to do about that? Do you remember Jesus had the temerity to ask someone who was sick in the Gospels, do you want to be real? Do you want to be well? What kind of a stupid question is that? Oh, you think about it. Jesus is saying to us, do you want to be well? What do you think? Do, do you want to be well? Do you want to be whole? No, I think I'll just limp along through life. Thanks very much. Nope, I'm good. Oh, come on, people. Come on. What are the blind spots that God wants to expose in us? Let's take a minute and pray, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what are the blind spots that are dragging us down? Is it prejudice or racism or materialism or fear or despair? Hatred? Do we despise other people? Do we ignore the people we love? Do we have the wrong ideas about you, Father? Do we have a misunderstanding of your grace and love are we stuck in performance mode are we running away from you do we have pet sins and addictions that we don't want to give up Lord what are our blind spots Take a minute, take a minute right now and ask God to bring to mind what your blind spots are. Father, we offer up our blind spots to you today. We pray that you would heal them, correct our vision, make us whole, bring wholeness to us as individuals and as a church family. And Lord, where we need to begin to forgive and seek restoration, give us the courage to start on that path. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the light of the world. And I pray you give us the courage to open our lives, every corner of our lives, to your light so we can be whole and follow you unreservedly. We pray these things confidently in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.